Uh, don't these micro-expressions vary depending on the person? Let's leave this up and we'll go to the Cato Kalin footage from the OJ trial. Mr. Kalin, you got a lot of money for your appearance on Current Affair, didn't you? Um, yeah. Scorn! Scorn. Huge scorn. <laughs> shame, shame, and shame. Contempt. These expressions are universal. Emotion looks the same whether you're a suburban housewife or a suicide bomber. The truth is written on all our faces. <clears throat> the truth is written on all our faces. But what truth? It's a truth of our emotions. The truth of what's really going on inside of us. What's truly going on inside of us. Even though they don't reveal what is really true, they reveal what's really true and what we believe and how we look at life. This morning, we're continuing a series called Emotions, What Do You Do With Them? Which is kind of a strange dilemma because, as we've noted all along, emotions are given to us by God. They're given to us by God as a gift. So why should it be such a big dilemma for us to look at what to do with them? Um, they've been given as a gift because God not only wants us to know and understand what is true. He wants us to feel it deeply. He wants us to feel it from our very blood pressure right down to our bones. Emotions are a gift to us because they reflect the image of God that we were created in. Because as we've been saying all along, our God is an emotional God. The emotions that we have come to us from him. They reveal the stability and the integrity and they reveal the beauty of who he is. Unfortunately, <clears throat> when it comes to us, to the case of our emotions, our emotions have been corrupted by sin. And so, in our case, we're just a bunch of emotional basket cases. Because what sin does to us is it, it separates us. It, it separates us from the intentions and the instructions of God and just leaves us filled with a bunch of distortions. And so while we experience the emotions that God has given us and the emotions that we see in the scriptures from God, they distract us and they distort us from truly understanding his intentions for us. This morning, we're going to look at an emotion that's called contempt. And let me give you a definition of contempt. Contempt sees others and things as below them and thus not worthy of respect. Contempt means 
<clears throat> to show disrespect. Now, it's interesting because contempt is, is primarily viewed as what we call a negative emotion. Does God show contempt? Well, yeah, he shows contempt towards evil, uh, towards sin. Even Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me because of what was going on in his heart. But when God shows contempt, he's usually spot on. However, for us, contempt probably 95% of the time, it's a negative emotion. Uh, It's an emotion that is born out of sinfulness. Uh, When you think about contempt, I think about uh, the little boy in kindergarten who um, was showing a picture to one of his neighbors of, of his kindergarten class. And so as he's showing the picture, he said, this is Michael. Michael's always causing trouble, hitting other people. And this is Mary. Mary can never stop talking. She just talk, 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 even after the teacher tells her not to talk. Uh, and, 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 and this is George over here. George, he just can't pay attention and he's distracted all the time. And this is me over here, just minding my own business. Because that's kind of the heart and soul of contempt. We look down on everyone else. We see everyone else as beneath us and not worthy of respect. Contempt is nasty business. It's nasty because it damages relationships. A guy by the name of John Gottsman, who is a uh, researcher and uh, runs what's called the Gottsman Research Institute, says that contempt is one of the key elements that you can use to predict divorce. He says, when a marriage is constantly encountering sarcasm, hostile humor, name calling, mimicking, or body language, such as eye rolling and sneering, you know a marriage is in big trouble. Contempt just damages relationships because it creates this dynamic of superiority and inferiority. It looks at another person as of less worth and value. It damages relationships. It destroys reputations. Because when we hear others being spoke of and we just kind of roll our eyes or we say, well, yeah, but there's more to them than you really understand, and, and, or they've got problems. When we do that, we take a person's reputation and we destroy it. It dismantles self-esteem because when we show enough contempt to a person over and over again, they begin to believe that they're not worth it, that they're inferior to others. It dissolves motivation because when you start to believe that you're an object of disdain, of content, 
of contempt. There's no desire to do anything with your life. You begin to believe that you're just hopeless. Last of all, it denies any sense of acceptance in the world, any sense of knowing that you fit in. And I don't think there's one person in this room who hasn't felt it one time or another, hasn't felt the feelings of being betrayed by someone you thought loved and cared for you, but in some public situation just kind of discounted you. The feelings of, of isolation as you are just kind of standing on the outside of a group because it's already been determined you're not really one of us. The anger that comes when someone brushes us off or gives us some dismissive look. The hopelessness that comes when we begin to look at ourselves as beyond any kind of redemption. We've all felt it. We've all engaged in it. We've all engaged in biting comments to spouse or to children or to friends or to people we work with. Um, we've all given the dismissive looks. We've all engaged in the cruel jokes or the sarcastic comments. Even as people who know the pain of it. If anyone has ever been the recipient of con contempt, it was Jesus. In fact, uh, this morning... We talk of Palm Sunday, uh, that time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and people cheered, but soon enough would begin to, to sneer at him. People would look at him as a Messiah and then determine that he was just a miscreant. This morning, we're going to look at a passage that really reveals what contempt look like, looks like. But more importantly, it reveals for us what to do with contempt. And particularly, what to do with contempt when it's pointed at us and our faith. Because we all know that. You can't live in this country, in this culture, and say publicly that you're a Christian, that you believe in God, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior without someone giving you that look of content, contempt, without someone rolling their eyes or saying something sarcastic, mocking, mimicking, you can't turn on the TV without seeing contempt all over the place for Jesus. Apparently, there's some popular TV show, I think it's called The Donahues, is that, I got that right? Um, of an Irish family. And the writer of it is someone who is well known for his contempt for Christianity and particularly for Catholicism. And throughout this program, 
Apparently, there are all sorts of scenes, like where you go in the bathroom and there's a statue of the Virgin Mother to remind people to pick up the, the boys to pick up the seat when they go to the bathroom. Uh, there's Jesus um, mocking heterosexualism. Um, all you have to do is turn on the TV to see it. In fact, I came across a, a, a banner in a parade recently. Um, Andreas, I don't know if you have that on there. Um, no reason for it. It was, it was a, a woman's parade, and yet um, here's the banner. Nobody died for our sins. Jesus Christ is a myth. And this was a woman's march for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Contempt. In fact, nobody was doing anything to him. They just want to express it. Uh, the atheist uh, Dawkins, who died recently, said that whenever you encounter Christians, they are to be mocked and they are to be ridiculed. We've all felt it. We've seen it from friends. We've heard it from family members. We know when we walk into the work environment that we walk on eggshells because of it. And it's no different than what Jesus dealt with. And as we look at Luke 19 this morning, we're going to see what we do with it. How we take the contempt of this world, particularly for our faith, and see how to use it in a way that doesn't break us, but actually builds us. So if you turn to your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. And I said before, this is the last week of Jesus's ministry. And it's the week that he goes into Jerusalem. For the most part, Jesus has, has stayed outside of Jerusalem. His ministry was a Galilean ministry that went all over the place, but particularly was one that avoided Jerusalem. One, because of all the religious officials and their desires to kill him. But Jesus, at the end of his ministry, at the Father's timing, determines it's time to go into Jerusalem. And the city was filled with tension. Tension that came from expectations of the people that the, the Jews believed that Jesus was going to come, that the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to liberate them from the Romans. In fact, Jesus came on a donkey, we see in, uh, as fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. And so the Jews, when they saw him coming, they said, this is our Messiah. This is the one who is going to set us free. In fact, they shouted out the words of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And yet, you had the religious professionals, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who had nothing but contempt for him. You had the military government that had contempt for Jesus and the Jews and the whole thing and were waiting to crush it. And it was in that environment that 
Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives and he entered Jerusalem. We pick it up at verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Think about it. A whole crowd of people excited, believing that their liberation had come. Uh, believing that, that, that God was present with them again and that after a 400-year four period of silence, God is back on the scene, about to deliver them and forgive them. And the Pharisees, their own religious people, says to Jesus, rebuke them. Tell them to shut up. Tell them that they don't know what they're talking about. Tell them that you're not that big of a deal. The Pharisees, these are people who are supposed to represent God. And they're telling God to pipe down. Can there be any greater contempt than that? Jesus says to him, verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, he's saying, this is something by God's spirit. All of creation waits in anticipation of what is about to happen. But all you see is contempt. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring your peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will... Uh, do we just miss the line? I can't even read. Thank you. They, they, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and he weeps for them. He weeps because he knows that the cheers of the crowd are going to turn into jeers. That when they find out that they're not going to get from Jesus what they want, they're going to be just like the Pharisees and they're going to turn to him in contempt. And Jesus weeps for them. He weeps because... They don't see the time of their salvation, of their peace. They don't embrace 
and won't embrace what God is going to do. Now, this is strange. It's strange because why wouldn't Jesus show contempt for them? I mean, think about it. He shows up prepared to die on a cross for them. And as he looks over the city, he recognizes you're not going to get it. No matter how much I implore you, no matter the grisly scene that you're going to see of my spilling of blood for you, you're not going to care. And you would think Jesus wouldn't weep. You think Jesus would just say, I don't even know what I'm doing here. You people make me sick. I don't even want to be here. If it wasn't for the Father's will, I'd be out of here. But he doesn't. He weeps. Now here's the question. Why does Jesus weep for them instead of show contempt for them? Because Jesus meets their emotion of contempt with another emotion. It's an emotion we call empathy. In fact, and this is really the, the takeaway of, the, of this message, empathy is the conciliatory emotion of the human condition. Empathy is this conciliatory emotion of the human condition. Empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Jesus doesn't show contempt for them. He weeps for them in pity. He sees what's coming for them. And he weeps. It's like what parents see for their children when they go astray. Do they show contempt or do they weep? It's like what good friends experience for friends who, who start to engage in behaviors that are self-destructive and, and you implore them and you try to encourage them. You, you don't hold them in contempt. You have empathy. Empathy is a conciliatory emotion of the human condition. Empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy just recognizes a tragedy. Sympathy recognizes pain. Empathy actually personalizes it. It makes the pain of another person their pain. Empathy requires humility. Empathy understands. But for the grace of God, there go I. That I could be in that situation. That I am no better than anyone else. If I have more money or more things or more popularity or I have a better family or marriage or job, that means nothing 
because before God, I am still a depraved sinner and everything I have comes from him and I don't have a right to look down on anyone. You can't have empathy without humility. It requires humility. Empathy values intimacy. Empathy wants to be connected to people. Empathy wants to be known and to know. You know, you've heard me say before, the, the word empathy, intimacy, into me see. Well, that comes by empathy. It comes by the willingness to be transparent and vulnerable because that's what empathy is. It's transparent and vulnerable. Empathy promotes community. Empathy wants to see that everyone's okay. Empathy wants to make sure that nobody is outside of the community of God's grace and God's love. Empathy confronts bigotry. It won't tolerate the dehumanizing of another person because of their race or, or their sex or their different practices or, or beliefs. Empathy will not allow someone's dignity and respect to be taken away from them. Empathy, empathy ensures maturity because only empathetic people can mature because you can't understand life if you don't understand your peers around you because you won't understand yourself. You can't mature unless you can love you can't know forgiveness and grace unless you show forgiveness and grace. Empathy ensures that you will grow into maturity. And lastly, empathy reveals divinity because that's where God is. People say, where was God during the Holocaust? He was right there. Feeling the pain of his people. Where is God in our suffering? He's right there. Because that's where empathy is. God doesn't take away all the bad things of this world, but God never leaves us in the midst of it. God always turns it out for the good in the end. Empathy reveals to us truth. When we sit empathize with someone, even when they've done something wrong, and instead of showing contempt, when we show empathy to them, we begin to see the power of what's right as we experience the pain of what happens when we do wrong. Empathy is a gift given to us from God. It's a calling for our lives. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, Paul says. That's what empathy is. And see, every day we're confronted with contempt or empathy. When Jesus was shown contempt by the Pharisees. 
when he looked out over the city and he knew what was coming and he knew that the cheers were just shallow and that in the end they would all hold him in contempt, he had empathy for them. And that's what he wants us to do. To have empathy. The willingness to give ourselves freely. The willingness to take what we have and, and give it to others generously. The willingness to, to feel pain and do so sacrificially that others would know we are there with them. Empathy happens when, when God is first. Because without God being first, you can't really experience empathy. Because have real empathy means to just totally let go of yourself without fear that you'll be undone. And you can only do that knowing that I let go of myself because I give myself to God. It means putting God first. It means putting others second. That I'm not going to be self-absorbed. That life isn't going to be about me and God. God looks over me and, 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 and I tip my hat to him and it's us against the world. No. It's God first. It's people second because I know God wants me to love what he loves. And then it's me last. Not because of self-loathing or contempt for myself, but because of my trust and faith in God to sustain me. Empathy's hard. Contempt is easy. We will very rarely ever show contempt towards the right things. And the only things we're to show it for is evil. But we'll mess that up. And so God calls us to empathy. On a practical level, what does that mean? One, it means keeping your mouth shut and your eyes open. Empathy looks for those who are hurting and need healing. Empathy doesn't just look to hear its own voice, to tell its own story, to brag about its own experience. Empathy keeps its mouth shut. And it keeps its eyes wide open. Because it's looking to have the eyes of Jesus, the eyes of a shepherd that looks for the one lost sheep and doesn't just cling to the other 99. Empathy requires that you keep your mouth shut, you keep your judgments intact. Mouth shut, 
should say, hearts open. That I remain tender. That I'm always looking to feel what someone else is feeling. Think about it this week. When you bump into yourself feeling judgment towards another person, ask yourself, what must it feel like to be them? How must it feel to be messing up all the time? And, and maybe that's why they mess up all the time, because they just they feel worthless. Maybe someone did something to them that has convinced them they equal nothing. Mouth shut, heart open, look to feel. Secondly, look around and not ahead. Looking ahead is just me trying to advance myself. Empathy means I look around. People who are narcissistic, what is it defined by? Self-absorption, self-protection. They only think about what's, how something will affect them and whether it's good for them. And, and when they're not thinking about that, they're thinking about how to protect themselves from anything bad. They're always looking ahead for themselves, but they're never looking around them at the people around them who are hurting and who are suffering. You want to be empathetic? Don't just think about where you're going. Think about where others are going. I love Francis Chan. When when he struggled with the, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and he came to the conclusion that to love my neighbor as myself means that I've got to be just as generous with my neighbor as I would myself. And so he determined that from that day forward, half of his income he would give to the poor because he felt like, how can I have this income and love my neighbor as myself but not take care of my neighbor when my neighbor doesn't have what I have? Something to think about. Looking around you and not just ahead of you. Thirdly, speak what is edifying, not what is satisfying. When you speak, speak what will be helpful to somebody else, not what will just make you feel good about yourself, not what will just make you look good in front of others, not what will make you feel superior and others inferior. We see that all the time. You've experienced people who tear you or others down to build themselves up. Empathy looks to speak what is edifying. Empathy looks at what's going on with the person in their situation that they might come and breathe life into it. That's where maturity is. Immature people are always talking about themselves, always doing for them, but, but they do or say nothing that edifies or builds anyone else up. Lastly, 
do what is needed, not wanted. You know, I, I think probably for us as Americans, our, our go-to statement is, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I could, but I don't want to. Yeah, I know I should, but I, I'm, not, I'm not really feeling it. It's not my passion. It's not my vision. It's not my vocation. God doesn't care about any of that. If you see something that needs to be done, then that's your call. That's your cue to be on stage, to do what's needed, not what's wanted. That's what empathy does. And to not do what's needed is to show contempt. Jesus died for you because of the love of the Father for you and his empathy for you. The writer Hebrews says that we have a high priest in heaven who is not unsympathetic to our needs. Why? Because he, he encountered everything we encountered. We have a God in heaven that when you weep, when you feel pain, he's up there knowing and saying, yeah, I know. I feel you. I remember when they did that to me. I remember when they said that to me. I remember when they mocked me and laughed at me. Remember when they lied to me and betrayed me? That's the God we have. And so it's, it's, it's up to you. But know this, Christ went to the cross because of the love and the empathy of the Father that is unfathomable for us. Real empathy will take someone to the cross. Why do we share the gospel? Empathy. We see people who are hurting, who don't know the truth. We see people who are tripping over themselves. We see people who are heading towards hell. And we care and we feel it. And we personalize it. And we remind ourselves that by the grace of God, that was us not too long ago. And somebody had the empathy to share the gospel with us because they cared. So how much will you care? How real will God's love, compassion, and empathy for you become? Because I would assert to you this. It's only as real as you extend it to others. And the days to come, today, you'll be confronted with it over and over and over again. Will I look at people with content? Or will I show them empathy? And know this. The truth is written on your faces. Let's join our hearts in prayer.